0: Welcome to this week's Samper the Great Appreciation Society episode of Spin Cycle, where we try to make sense of the week's media goings on, and sometimes we don't, because we've been going to gigs again, so you're going to hear about that too. Uh, of course, coming to you from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, always was, always will be. I'm Jess Lily and I'm so pleased to be in the studio with my buds Age journo <laughs> Najma Sambul and Quaker reporter Charlie Lewis. G'day guys.
1: Hi, how are you? Very good, very good. I always a little... get paranoid that my mic's not working for some reason. Today, I, for people listening, I've got my feet up. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally. It's, it's, it's a real vibe from Najma yeah.
1: <laughs> Naj
0: is reclining. We need a lazy boy in here. I, I was know. just saying we should have a pyjama episode <laughs> yeah. at some point. P- pizza and pyjama. Oh, I
1: love that. Yeah. I've already brought pizza into the studio once. Though. You did. I know. Oh, I should bring that back. You <laughs> did bring although, that back. Yeah, although it was making me gain a bit of weight. Because <laughs> none of you guys were eating it. So I'm the one polishing off a large pizza, unbeknownst to my waistline. <laughs>
0: the garlic bread was good, though.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and later on, in about 20 minutes,
2: we'll be talking to Dr. Green. Uh, Sorry, Dr Glyn Greensmith, a uh, broadcaster and researcher and journalist um, and lecturer who has been doing a great deal of work on the role that mass media coverage plays in uh, perpetrating and promulgating uh, mass shootings.
0: Which is pretty heavy. It yeah. is fairly heavy, yes. And um, obviously this is in light of, um, you know, the the recent just horrific school shooting in Valdane, Texas, but also there's been eight more yeah. um, mass shootings since then mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, um, so we will get to that. And we thought because it is a relatively um, heavy subject, we are going to start light. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> start with some light and some and some beauty. Um, and we've all been getting back to gigs this week. And um, I, I reckon you should go first, Charlie, because your gig. Was before ours,
2: right? Okay. Um, so over the weekend, um, I went and saw two gigs actually by the same band, um, the the Hold Steady. Who, uh, if you're not familiar with them, are, are a wonderful, wonderful band. I think one of my favourite writers in all of pop music is their lead singer Craig Finn, and they are a fabulous backing band for him. Um, that was a, a gig that uh, we had. Me and my best friend, who lives over in Perth. Um, had booked in about three years ago thinking that <laughs> everything in history would continue as it had been for the last few years uh, and then that that show for obvious reasons had to get, keep being put back and put back um, and so there was I think, and I, we talked about this before the show um, the kind of the catharsis mm. of of that of those sorts of things finally coming back and those kinds of things finally happening. Um, it was just a, a, a joyful and cathartic and very beautiful evening and I, yeah. I greatly enjoyed it. I'm going to insist that we play some of their stuff a bit later on. So.
0: Yes, definitely. I love the fact um, when we prepare music for this show, it's literally one song. So
2: <laughs> now, now it's two, everyone. Get <laughs> ready for two songs tonight. So
1: what kind of music was the gig like? What genre? Um,
2: I suppose you'd call them kind of like – I kind of always describe them as a sort of more downbeat Brute Springsteen. Sort (laughs) of like like rock? Yeah, like a kind of straight (laughs) guitar rock with these very kind of like – I guess, very finely observed, very detailed stories about kind of working class life in various oh. American towns.
1: Or battler life, I love that already. Uh, that are, <laughs> yeah,
2: and it's, it's really funny. So so we, we did the version of it that um, involved a little pre-gig gig where they right. would answer questions from the audience and then do songs. Oh, the show if,
1: before the show. It was so nice. wonderful. It was
2: so wonderful. And he was talking about, you know, the, the kind of surprise and, and joy that he felt, Craig Finn, kind of going from one – city to another in in the U S and finding that people were like, Hey, we did the same stuff in Pittsburgh that you guys do in, in Minneapolis. And he was like, Oh, that's really interesting. And, and, and so people from like, there's like someone from New Zealand saying the same thing where it's like, I was living my life in 2006. I discovered uh, boys and girls in America and it changed my life because it was, you know, a story about being the people I knew. And he said, that's really wonderful. And, And I think the, the, the really lovely thing I've learned from, from being a musician and traveling the world is that like, the street corners I describe are far less important than the people who occupy them.
1: 100%. And, oh,
0: uh,
2: yeah.
1: that's, that's so good. There was a,
0: uh, they did a great interview with um, Brian Wise on Triple R on the weekend on his show Off the Record um, mm. and I'd recommend listening to that. But uh, they de- he described their work as anthemic.
2: Anthemic is definitely the word for it, yeah. yeah. I um, I definitely did a lot of jumping up and down and screeching <laughs> along and I could yeah. barely talk the next day. It was wonderful.
1: Oh, my God. I would love to see you in action at a gig. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Um, one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to. We'll have to yeah. go out. Yes. Yeah, well, I'd we love, we love
2: to. I'd love to go to the gig that you guys went to last yeah, night. Yeah.
1: Well, that's it was crazy good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just why didn't you invite Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: This is something that I don't believe in air in public, but I, I had been wondering. Let's hash it out. Let's hash it out. Like, <laughs> I was hoping this would happen. <laughs> uh, uh, Sam the Great, who is you know one of my favourite rappers. Yeah. Uh, but you guys got to see her live, which is cool. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Just just the two of you. <laughs>
0: Ah, just the two of us. <laughs> Charlie, why weren't you there? Um, but, yeah, no, it was an incredible show. Yeah, I'm that... I, I actually blown away. And, again, yeah. you know, in terms of the three-year wait, it was part of Rising Festival, which has sort of had a very kind of stop, start, start, yeah, really, yeah, because yeah. it was, you yeah. know, on and off and... Tiny little bits and pieces happened, and then it was off again, and it, you know, and so it, but you, and you could feel that. Just the release yeah, last night. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've been, it was at the Forum. I've been to lots of gigs there. It's a really great venue. But what the Rising Festival obviously brought to it was the ability for Sampa to do her full show and, mm-hmm. you know, realise the full kind of creative and artistic expression yeah. of who she is.
1: Yeah, honestly, like going there last night, I'm not the biggest concert goer, gig goer. Um, I'm so, like, precious. I'm so like that's we had a booth last night. I know I'm such a princess when it comes to that stuff. So like going there and just being able to relate to Stumper's like story, like her Africanness, it was just so like it was so good to see so many like young people. Such a unique like mix of crowd. Mm. It was old, young, you know. There was just like such a vibe and energy, and just like you know, it was such an experience to have an all Zambian um, band and everybody Mm. on stage being Zambian and just like. Really honoring her roots like that. And just, you know, I just thought it was such an awesome, like, because there's so many talented African artists in, you know, this country, but unfortunately they didn't get the support that others get. And it's so good to see somebody shine. And it's just like that kind of level of exceptionalism and excellence mm. is just yeah, so yeah. like astounding. It's something about Africans and music. We know how to do it and last <laughs> night
0: was like an experience it was a proper performance wasn't yeah, it it because was art man yeah like, it really was it was because the, the band and and you know she was so proud of the fact it was all zambian band yeah, the and first there were like zambian band, band, band to members. like play
1: coachella the first all zambian band to play sydney opera house and now the first all zambian band to play the forum and like to be like back at her home it was just such a full circle moment and she's done so much and it's just like she's put on so many people and put on mm. so many African people from her her country, like Zambians. You know, it's just so important because people those, these opportunities don't come easy for a lot of Africans, and it's so well because she had the a dance the dancers as well. Yeah, yeah. So, how great were they? they were we were amazing. so blown away. <laughs> their athleticism, their choreography, oh. the lighting. Oh my god! I went and followed the um the guy that did the, the lighting. Design, yeah, <laughs> the stage design,
0: the set design. It was just. It was, it was the most, like the, the amount of thought that went into every single aspect of that show, apart from the fact, obviously, that Sampa the Great kicks ass. You know, yeah. her music is a incredible. Artist, yeah. And she was, most of it was new music. So there were right. only a couple of songs. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. And it was, ah, oh, it was so incredible. And, you know, I, there was one moment where I did get really mad when she was talking, she also spoke a lot during the show. Oh, which was great. Which was incredible.
1: I love those insights. I love when they do
0: that. But um, I got really pissed off when she she was saying, you know, a couple of years ago she went back to Zambia because her dad had COVID and she thought it was the right thing for her to do, to go and look after him. And then she wasn't able to get back into Australia Mm. again. And to me it's just like... This is so this is it's a thin edge of the wedge, but it's just so indicative of how little we respect our artists. Here's someone who's such an important artist, you know Yeah. In terms of what she's done
1: here. Yeah. And she couldn't even get back into the country, man, you know? Yeah, no, it's wild. And I think, like, so many people suffered from those kind of harsh, like, you know, measures to keep COVID out. And it's just like, you know, but, you know, she came back and she did it big. And I feel like um, I'm just kind of in awe still. And I'm Mm. like, I'm having sample
2: withdrawals. I (laughs)
1: know. Like, she is playing tonight. So if you're going.
0: Yeah, enjoy. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, even uh, if be not blown all of us
2: uh, got an invite, so it's very important that if you can go and enjoy that gig you know what? that you do. know what? Did you
0: see my Instagram stories, Charlie?
1: <laughs> kind of like you were there.
0: <laughs> we missed you, babe. We missed you.
1: Um,
0: should we hear a little samper before we um, – Hell um, yeah. I think we should. Oh, oh, it's on. only fitting. Oh, no, I didn't cue the record. <laughs> mm. I was oh, like, no. that's the one thing I failed to do. I might actually already have someone in playlists talk about yourself talk amongst yourselves
1: yeah well what's uh, what's uh, is anybody going to other rising stuff happening?
0: Yeah, I'm going to um, Riding the West, which is um, – Oh, yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, I'll be yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, coming cool. to that yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, you should definitely yeah. come yeah, to that. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. get an invite. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: it's, now, it's now publicly yeah. binding now that I've been invited <laughs> on to record. this. the <laughs>
0: record. <laughs> okay, we're going to um, we're gonna have to go with um, – with, The uh, Hold Steady? Uh, the Hold Steady, which is okay. good, and then we'll hear Samper the next break because I put I my record in and then I didn't actually put it on the record player, which is <laughs> – it's I mean, it was a late night. Yeah, don't look at me. I can't do that. <laughs> 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 what are we going to listen to, today? We're going to
2: listen to um, T-Shirt Tucks. So so as I sort of said, they, they are a band that mean the absolute world to me, and, and I think he's one of the finest writers uh, sort of working in, 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 in the genre that he works in um, for the last 20 years. This one's much more fun and catchy, so it's not too heavy. So <laughs> T-Shirt Tucks from Thrashing Through the Passion. Um, So last week we received the truly numbing news that uh, 19 students and two teachers were murdered in a mass shooting in a high school in Elvady, Texas. As with many events that attract blanket coverage, there was little reflection from the media on the impact that that coverage might actually have. Dr. Green, uh, Glyn Greensmith is a journalism lecturer at Curtin University and a broadcaster with the ABC, whose PhD examines uh, media coverage and mass shootings. He's written extensively about the research that shows that blanket media coverage of perpetrators of mass shootings ensures that more mass shootings will occur. Uh, Glenn, thank you so much for joining
3: us. Thank you very much for having me, and greetings from the People's Republic of Fremantle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, how are you feeling over there? Mm.
3: Uh, well, I'm just recovering from COVID. So really what's happening in WA is it's 2020. So if, as anybody who knows <laughs> WA knows, that kind of tracks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. we're about that far behind. So basically <laughs> yeah. half of Fremantle has gone down with COVID in the last three weeks, myself included. So oh just no. recovering. So if I do cough, I apologise.
2: No, the time difference um, is crazy in WA. You get off the plane and it's three years ago. <laughs>
0: that's right, <laughs> Oh, you've been wanting to try that gag on <laughs> been, for a while. I've been sitting on that one for a
2: while, if I'm honest.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Glenn. We really appreciate
2: me. it. Um, so last week you wrote a piece for the Nine Papers uh, that was headed what, mm. when the public's right to know clashes with, what, with giving mass shooters what they want. Um, yeah. And in that piece you wrote a bit about the script that media coverage creates for mass shooters. Can you talk us a yeah. bit through that concept and kind of where it comes from?
3: Yeah, 1st of August, 1966, um, ironically in Texas, there was a mass shooting at a university. And everybody who has studied mass shootings over the years has referred to that mass shooting as kind of the first of the modern mass shootings. It wasn't the first mass shooting, but this was a crime that happened every five years around the world. Uh, the second ever mass shooting, by the way, was in Melbourne at the Botanic Gardens in about 1923. The first oh, one wow. was in Germany in, in um, about 1917, I think it was. So the second one ever was in Melbourne, interestingly Can enough. you give us uh, a little
0: sorry. information about
3: that one? I've uh, never I heard of it. I couldn't tell you too much. No, well, uh, that's kind of the point, is that <laughs> this was a crime that was covered. Um, And it was sort of like, you know, if you you read pieces from back then, you'll just sort of get kind of a, like, this has happened. And, you know, police are investigating, and it all sounds really terrible. Um, In the Botanic Gardens, people died. In the Botanic Gardens, people died in 1923. And so about every five years or so, this crime would happen. And what happened on the 1st of August 1966, and there's no real one answer to why this happened. It was, I mean, it, it was no you know, it was no behind-the-scenes Illuminati sort of thing. There was kind of the growth of television news. There was more competition in the U.S. There was this demand for footage. And so quite organically, what happened on the 1st of August, 66, was the news covered that mass shooting very differently than any mass shooting had ever been covered. And they all did it. And they all did it at once. And what they did for the first time was go, here is really great detail on the perpetrator here is a lot of detail on on how this happened like we're going to take you minute by minute we're going to take you Mm. through the guns we're going to talk about what this guy was wearing we're going to show you photos of him as a kid with a rifle we're going to say that he might have been having headaches we're going to do everything we can to tell you everything we can Mm. about the killer is a way of trying to work out why this might have happened. And it wasn't, you know, there was nothing ignoble about it. They were saying, well, here's who's involved, here's how it happened, and here's why we think it happened by telling you everything we can about the killer. And here's what happened. Mass shootings from that moment went from every five years to 15 a year. Right there, right then, this crime, in a sense was created. And what we call that method of reporting, what we call that focus on the who, the how, and the why, uh, has become known as the script. And that's been documented by psychologists, psychiatrists who actually interview surviving mass shooters, criminologists, and, and more recently, but But just a little bit, uh, people like myself who are coming at it from the journalism point of view, who are saying, holy shit, this is really interesting information for us Mm. in the field of journalism. We should look at this too. There shouldn't be other people telling us about it. We should be examining it from a journalistic perspective to talk about what this script means and what it should mean for us as an industry and an institution.
0: So when you talk about the script and how it um, instantly sort of... um elevated the numbers of mass shootings a year. Why Why is that script so fundamental in creating these sort of uh, I- incidents?
3: Yeah, uh, well, all we can do in this instance is listen to the mass shooters because they have told us and they have told us repeatedly and they have told us clearly. Uh, these people are losers, they're forgotten, they are on the fringes of society, they are humiliated and ashamed, and we have said to them, if you would like to be relevant, if you would like to be Mm -hmm. recognized, if you would like to be validated and vindicated, you know what you need to do. And they have told us that they have seen that, and they have responded to it. And they have told us as clearly as the nose on your face. They have said, oh, I believe that the more people I kill, the more I'll be in the news. Mm -hmm. And they're Mm -hmm. right. And what we are struggling to do as an industry is respond uh, and cope with that because we're not good at it as a rule. So the, the evidence has been building for 50 years, but really in the last 10 years, it's, it's, it's really gathered momentum. So what I was trying to write last week um, in The Age was to say, look, I think we just need to start accepting that this evidence is just accepted now. The the coverage Mm -hmm. is part of why this crime happens. And if you're you're floundering around saying, why, why, why? Well, you're ignoring this huge body of evidence. I signed an open letter in 2017 after the worst mass shooting in US history in Las Vegas. The open letter was was, uh, drafted by a couple of criminologists in the United States, and they cast the net out to everybody who studies mass shootings around the world. And they said, would you be interested in signing this letter? So the letter said, please don't identify the killer. It's what they want. In in, in the simplest possible terms, that's what the letter said. Like, you are giving them what they want, and if you didn't give them what they want, you might see a dramatic, not little, a dramatic decline in the crime itself. I was one of the signatories. There were 149 of us, 149 mass shooting researchers, saying, yeah, this, this is right but I was the only journalism person. And you just get a sense there of the fight. The fight is all of these experts from all of these fields saying to the field of journalism, this is real, and you need to pay attention to it and discuss it and think about it and own it and... Very few of us from within the field trying to articulate that in ways that, you know, trying to communicate to our peers about how we can do this, how this is not robbing you of anything, how we're not coming in to censor anything by saying, let's stop giving them what they want. It's common bloody sense. And, and every now and then, of course, uh, we have something like what happened last week, which is children. It's children. Mm. It's fucking children. And so I really lose my patience and I really lose my sense of humor Mm. about the idea that I have to keep banging my head against a brick wall because I'm somehow offending the sensibilities of fellow journalists by daring to suggest we have some evidence-based reporting restrictions and everybody tuts their head at the lack of gun control in the united states they ain't getting gun control anytime soon what aren't you willing to do what are you not willing to do to stop children being slaughtered i'm giving you something and you are rejecting it out of hand because it's like oh no 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 that's us that's that's too hard let's not bother with that so i get a little bit cranky about that when it's Children.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, what I'm interested in is how do we, I guess, in this age where people want to know every single little detail and everybody yep. is an expert, you know, an armchair critic, sure. an armchair expert, how then would that information, you know, serve, like, how would you report that information without basically you know feeding what the perpetrators want but also yep. is there a middle ground do we give a little bit you know and then sure is it case by case you know because it's, i feel that it's,
3: it's simpler yeah. than you think it's simpler than you think and, and we what we tend to do is overcomplicate ourselves when we talk about journalism so let me let me just say a couple of straightforward things you don't get to know everything about what's going on you don't get to know who the victims of sexual assault are. Mm. That is a blanket law mm. that when it's a sexual assault case is in court, but the name isn't reported. You could be on the internet going, oh, I really wish I knew, but no one's telling you, champ. You're not getting that information. You do not get to know the names of children in court. No matter what they're doing and being accused of, that is legally withheld from you, and wanting to know does not add any benefit. You don't get to know. So the idea that... that Information is a free for all. is actually false. There is a lot of information that you are withheld from knowing, mm-hmm. and the age of the internet has not changed that. So, that that does exist. The idea that not everything is is out there. Mm. And
1: so, so, so by that logic, do you also yeah. believe that you know people who commit um, you know mass shootings in a different kind of in a different kind of way, like I guess Daesh or ISIS supporters who carry that out. Should um, they also, is that a different story altogether? It is.
3: It is in a sense, so uh, you're quite right. Because they're are very much on
1: the margins. That That's why is. I was interested by what yes. you said, because these people had similar kind of... Um, from the studies that I've kind of glossed over, is that they follow... They're on the margins, you know. They're, they're radicalised because they're vulnerable. And they're searching
2: for a narrative to they're give their life meaning. For, and these yeah. are
1: young men the that The hero been, narrative. Yeah, yeah, and they're young men who have been, I guess, Correct. rejected by mainstream society in one way or another. So by that token should we then now not afford them that notoriety? Notoriety, Because, and yeah, I'm interested to know your opinion on that. Yes. Um,
3: So there's two different parts that you mentioned. So the first thing to say is that there are different types of mass shootings. My research is into the mass random shooter. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mass random shooter is what we just saw in Texas. It is what we saw at Port Arthur. That is different from an act of terrorism. But the act of terrorism, and you mentioned yourself, ISIS, Mm. So you have an instance where you have a major terror, an organized terrorist group who commits a mass shooting. Now, that's very different than what happened in Christchurch, for example. Mm. So that's what we call a single actor terrorist. And Mm. that's where your description is absolutely apt. So an act of organized group terrorism is different from what we saw in Christchurch. Um, And what we've come to realize is that the typology around that single actor terrorist is very similar to the work we're doing with the random mass shootings. Mm. And so I did end up doing a lot of work around Christchurch with this messaging. And you actually found in New Zealand that they really, they were all over this. They really responded mm. um, to the idea that they did not, you know, that, that, that the manifesto did not belong in the public domain, mm. that the live stream yeah. did not belong in the public domain. And that they, because um, he lived, They did not wish to just give him a platform. And so that very much, even though my research is in the mass random shooting, there was a lot of very significant crossover there because of exactly what you said. It's about what we're telling people at the margins who don't get to be heard because they're at the margins. We're saying to you, if you want to be heard, you just need an arsenal of guns. And you follow this script and we'll give you the rest. So it's simply about taking those elements away. That doesn't mean the crime gets buried, for goodness sake. It really doesn't. In fact, I would say to you that we've missed over the years, we've missed the story Because we're so obsessed with the killer, we've so often missed the stories of the victims and the witnesses and the responders and actual heroes, actual heroes who died or lived, but did something profound and dramatic to try and impact this crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, The politicians who need to be held account for their public policy actions. We've often missed these stories. Now, we're a bit better at The police in Texas. Or the police in Texas. So we are a bit better at getting a more fulsome picture of the story. But it, I think the point was I've always been trying to make is, you know, rather than taking news away, stopping our focus on the killer gives us more stories to tell because there are incredible stories within any act of tragedy, stories that really would inspire you and remind you that you live in an incredible community of brave people um, that we just never get to hear because we're dealing with the piece of shit coward who committed the crime and we're obsessed only with the piece of shit coward Mm. who committed the crime.
0: If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Dr Glyn Greensmith, who is a journalism lecturer at Curtin University and broadcast with the ABC, uh, whose PhD examines the news framing of um, mass murders and mass shootings. Um, I am interested in going back a little bit, um, Glenn, to what we were talking about before in terms of what is the right amount of information, you know, what is the responsible storytelling of the media and I get what you're saying in terms of we have um, laws um, suppressing information in other sorts of cases so why don't we have them in this but the problem that we, we live in at the moment is that, you know, if you if you give people nothing you create an information vacuum which will be filled as we saw in the case of um in in the texas case recently where a transgender woman was identified um and you know it it went off you know a, across a lot of different kind of social media so what mm. do you think is the solution what is the right amount of information that you know um or, or how? How do? How, what is the? Yeah. What's the solution? What's What's your proposal?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, so the internet is such a. I mean, for a single word, it really does mean a lot, doesn't it? And mm. and I would I would try and frame it like this. Um, that I believe in the news. I believe in what the news is for. Um, I believe in the power of it um, and its role and responsibility in society. And what we've seen over the last 15, 20 years is the news kind of throw its hands up in the air and say, the internet. So we'll just break all our own rules now because, you know, mm-hmm. the internet. Um, so I believe you've got to make a decision whether you lead or you follow. And mm-hmm. for a start, you say, okay, yeah, the internet exists. There are complications around the way that information is gathered and presented to people, but." You call yourself a professional journalist or you don't. You call yourself a professional news outlet or you don't. And if you do, then you should lead on this. And then let's talk about what we can do about the rest. And I I got this in, after Christchurch a fair bit. You know, Glenn, uh, it makes sense what you're saying, but the Internet exists. And I'm like, guys, the Internet is like a baby. It is, it's three days old. Can we stop acting like it's the most absolute thing in the world? It's frigging mm. Thanos or something and we can't yeah. do anything about it. No, 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 no. And, and not long after that, yeah. not long after that, can I remind you <laughs> that Facebook turned off the news. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And only to Australia. Mm. Only to Australia. They went yeah. no news for it's you. It's possible. So, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, everyone's yeah. like, well, you can't stop it. And I'm like, absolute <laughs>
0: They turned off Uh, the news. They turned off more than the news, you know.
3: They they hit a button and went, no, only for Australia, by the way. Everyone else gets the news. So the idea that I'm supposed to throw my hands up in the air and put it in the too hard basket is crap. And I think anybody who suggests that that is the case is crap because you're either a professional news outlet with evidence-based reporting in the public interest, or you're not. Mm. And it's a lead-and-follow thing. And so I genuinely believe that if we do the right thing for the right reasons, then that sets us apart from the Joe Blow blogger, from oh, from Joe Rogan, you know, from something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. And that sets us apart and sets standards that people then understand. We have seen in this country, in this election, the most vast disparity between what most news outlets were telling us this election should be about and what Mm. most people in the country were going, no, no, I think I know what I'm voting for. I think I'm going to vote for climate and integrity and blah, blah, blah. You're telling me I should vote for gaffes and the Mm. word (laughs) economy again and again. But Mm. I reject that. So we have seen that, that the news has suffered tremendously through this federal election because it has rejected what it has been told a thousand times. This is a new age. Be transparent with your audience. Be open and honest about your methods and your philosophies, and that they will respond. The appetite for the news is as strong as it's ever been, yeah. but because of you know shrinking media ownership laws, which are decisions made by human beings, yes. um, <laughs> because of social media algorithms, which are decisions made by human beings, we're seeing this disconnect. I just believe that there is a marketplace for this kind of honest, evidence-based reporting, and that we, generally speaking as an industry, are choosing to ignore it when we really don't have to. And it could help reconnect us to our audience, why we do what we do, how we do what we do, why it matters.
2: Yeah, I mean, following on from that, I suppose the question is, um, do you feel... Do you feel any optimism? I feel like, you know, because you and I have been talking about this subject in particular for, for, for quite some time. And yeah. it seems to me from the, the you know, the, the coverage in these ways is improving marginally. I mean, after years of begging for, for people to just simply stop naming the shooter, that has now become quite, a, quite, quite common. It's not yeah. up across the board, but it's yeah. much more common. Do you think that things are improving and do you, do you feel confident that it will actually end up uh, kind of adhering to what we would like to see?
3: I, I, I definitely, you know, this conversation would never, ever have been had a certain amount of years ago, certainly mm. 10 years ago. I, no one would have given me a second airtime or a seconds uh, or a column inch. Mm. So the fact that, you know, The Age published that article is huge wraps on them because it's not easy for journalism to talk about journalism. It's just not good at it and it's not comfortable with it. But mm. the fact that they did publish that op-ed and then I got a phone call on Friday from Neil Mitchell's producer at 3AW saying, will you come on that show? And I'm like, really? (laughs) Okay. So on Friday morning, I'm on Neil Mitchell's program, you know, the most AM commercial (laughs) talkback program in Melbourne because he wanted to talk about it. And I just think, well, that's a sign, isn't it? That's a sign that I can reach new audiences with a conversation and and that, that people are willing to listen. Like as old school um, you know, commercial job like Neil Mitchell was was willing to talk about it. So I do think there's momentum there. Um, I feel like, you know, this nothing that's evidence-based should rely on a buffet like me and my ability to communicate or whether you like me or not. And I really get quite pissed off at that whole notion because yeah, yeah. half of the time it's just like, especially after a school shooting, you know, it's like, guys, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to swear at your heaps. (laughs) I'm going to call you a lot of names because I'm really, really fucking angry today Mm. because you're asking me to be patient and play nice and, oh, let's bring... Fuck off! There's (laughs) slaughtering children and there's something we can do that is Mm. evidence-based that is supported by all of the mass shootings researchers. So don't ask me to be charming and nice and patient. But the answer is, you know, it's a responsibility when you study something like this. It, mm. It's a responsibility to say, well, you have to get up and keep going, and which is why you, you sort of you say, well, you can do something, and therefore you should. And there's a lot of that out there in our world. We never see that very much because we we are far more intrigued and excited in the news by people who screech at each other, by people who scream and shout obscene and terrible things because for some reason we've decided that's more exciting and we think that's what our audiences want and we think they'll hang around longer for the adverts if we have idiots saying idiotic things. There are so many good, reasoned and reasonable people out there saying reasoned and reasonable things all the time. And I wish we gave them more airtime, and and that's why shows like yours are so important because you seek that out. Mm. Um, but it is shifting. I do believe it's shifting. Is a is kind of a weird way I answered that question with some <laughs> swearing. So I apologise about. that. No,
0: no, question. that's okay. We are a swearing positive uh, <laughs> show. Very pro swearing. It's after the what do they used to call it in the, the watershed? The watershed. Yeah, we post watershed. Um, uh, thank you so much and I hope it's shifting not just in Australia. I feel like we re- are relatively even though there are some um, outlets that do go for the kind of sensationalism I think that we're, this is one issue that um, you know for some reason whatever the stars aligned in this country has dealt with it really well and um, there is some understanding that it's it should be the way it is. Um, I, hope so. I just yeah. hope that you know in the states that 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 they can have a little circum be a bit more circumspect and what what do you think I'm just going to ask you one more question and then you can go back to your yep. post COVID bed but um <laughs> what do you think about Joe Biden pretty much just turning around and just saying Jacinda Ardern is our great hope that is the model we have to do it you know
3: um the the focus. Um, it, of course the focus is on getting AR-15s out of the hands of children. Mm. You know, of course it is. Um, but you're not going to. Uh, you, you fix one law. i give you one law. It's not a gun control law. It's political donations. That's it. Fix political Mm. donations, you fix everything else in the United States. Because that's all it is. It's nothing more than the power of money in a lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that I don't see that being discussed after a crime like this says something to me like it's not going to happen. What the NRA has done so effectively is scream blue bloody murder at the most gentle and sensible thing that mm. could be enacted, like scream like the world is on fire. Mm. So that if something was enacted, if there was, if there was finally one massacre of children too many that superseded the money they were getting, mm. and they decided to do something, it's not going to be much. You know what mm. I mean? It's not. Yeah. It's going to be tiny. And you know what's going to happen? Another mass shooting. And you know what they'll say after that mass shooting? They'll say, see, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's not the path. It's it has to be a
0: path. much a, a bigger groundswell of challenge. To
3: be something yeah. fundamental. Uh, by yeah. the way, we need this fixing in our country too. Fix political donation yeah. laws, everybody, and you <laughs> fix this problem. Everything no, flows from that.
1: Get to the source, um, that's
3: for sure. So I don't believe – I believe what will happen eventually is a small gun control measure. Mm. Um, I, I hope – I would love to be wrong. They had assault weapons bans back in the 90s, and it reduced mass shootings. They revoked assault weapons bans and mass shootings increased. So it's happened. It might happen again. It might. Mm. But I've got no... They've given me no reason for optimism until they go about trying to fix their absolute crumbling democracy, absolute on-the-precipice crumbling democracy. They will not fix this problem. Um, And this is one of those things that doesn't require a law. It requires people coming together...
0: To and do saying the right enough thing, is enough.
3: Right reasons, which is possible.
0: Yeah. Thank you. A, a little, a tiny little <laughs> note of optimism at the end, and we'll take it. Triple <laughs> R. <laughs> um, I think we've just agreed that we're going to have a pretty Ospol free week or at least osbal light over it yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <all> light. <laughs> so let's talk about stories that you guys have been working on now you've had a couple of really interesting ones lately there's um you've got um some indian nationalists um a little hot under the collar
1: Oh um, more than hot under the collar i'm getting absolutely roasted online <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i did a story um this last week about a controversial Indian MP coming to Australia for this youth conference and there was a, um, you know, a coalition of human rights groups and academics who um, wrote letters to several um, universities, including the University of Sydney and Monash University, basically, um, as they had sponsored this event, asking for them to um, basically pull out and... You know, Why is he controversial? What's so, been- yeah, he's had a pretty um, interesting... Um, you know, the, interesting rap sheet, um, he said things like um, drumming up a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment in um, in India and right now there's a lot of tension in the country with, um, you know, the ruling party, the B, BJP, um, being in power at the moment. They're quite far right, um, Hindu nationalists and, yeah, he's called for a Hindu state and he's called for people to be re- um reconverted to Hinduism, um, but it's interesting because there's the people he's talking about are people who've been Muslim for centuries, mm-hmm. so go figure. Um, and he's also said some very kind of crude comments about Muslim women online and, yeah, he also, you know, he's just – He's quite a divisive kind of figure, um, which is not particularly helpful in the, in the climate in India at the moment. Mm. So it was kind of a complex story. Like how do you explain that without, you know, getting readers well, to go, what? Yeah.
0: Yes, and yes and no. I mean it's amazing how quickly we grasp that if it's a white nationalist, you know what I mean, yeah. like someone coming mm. from Britain or America. We've seen mm. people's visas getting cancelled, you know, we've seen mean, this. I mean not been
2: taken on Sky News. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, but, but it's interesting. I mean, but it's part of this strange mainstreaming of of, of that kind of strain of, of Indian okay, politics. Ahead. Yeah. The, I mean, it, during the election period, we saw both Anthony Albanese mm. and Scott Morrison. Uh, pictured wearing the scarves of, yeah. of Hindu ultranationalist groups and yeah. and that's not a disqualifying thing anymore and that's I haven't really got any kind of like conclusion about that it's just very strange to me that that's, yeah. well, an I, incri- that, that's quite a normal thing now Yeah,
1: and I think also like people who are um, I guess the punching bags of a lot of these right wing nationalists are um, you know Muslims who yeah, are yeah, a yeah. minority in India which is weird because they're millions but in mm. comparison to the close to a billion. Is it a 1000000000 yeah. now? population? Yeah, I think yeah. They, yeah. that it, would be it, it a drop biggest, in the ocean for it's sure. It's the biggest
2: population that any country in the world has in Muslims, but because it's such a huge population, <laughs> it's, it's like, still the, that, the vast it's a minority. minority. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it's interesting, and I think that it's just a little bit, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think there's something to be said about how Muslims have been reported on and mm-hmm. how they've mm-hmm. been, you know, portrayed as, you know, the perpetrators, and unfortunately, people don't see Muslims as victims, right? And they don't they see it as, you know, fair enough, you know, look what some so-called, you know, terrorists have done. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's very fascinating that this area goes underreported and I think it's pretty significant for the National Tertiary Education um, yeah, Union massive. president massive, yeah. at University of Sydney to be, you know, you know, saying the university should not be allowing any of the um, facilities, um, any of the resources to be spent um You know, supporting this uh, politician, and yeah, and I reached out to Tajaspi for comment. Of course, he has a cool 1 million followers and did not probably see my DM. So, (laughs) um, but he's also now saying um, he's, you know, the thing about him as well is he's interesting because. you know, we told that he w- he wasn't going to be at this youth conference. It's called the Australia-India Youth Dialogue. Um, and a lot of um, Labor MPs actually have come up through that as well. They've been past delegates. Um right, right. You know, we're talking Tim Oz, talking to Andrew Charlton. Um, right. And, yeah, significant players. And um, I think the interesting thing is they said that he wouldn't be having a platform and it would be like a bl- behind-closed-doors event, you know, 15 delegates from India and like 14 from Australia or something. But the thing that kind of got me was, you know, with these kind of far-right figures, they just can't help themselves. No, like, of course. That article wasn't, you know, in fact, he felt emboldened by that and he was caught on camera at a private event talking about congratulating, um, you know, Hindus who'd come up and said, we're starting a anti-halal meet campaign and he's like, great, that's great work, good on you. You're very encouraging to this these mm. narratives. These um... Sounds like he get along with our Pauline. Yeah, but even she's let that one go to bed, hey. Well, so it's yeah, like you're bringing, yeah. you're bringing, yeah. up, you're is, bringing yeah. up like old things and I think that's what the concerns of the Indian community were, especially across the board. You know, there were Sikhs, Hindus and all of that who co-signed this letter and they were concerned that it would drum up a lot of, um, you know, disharmony within the community mm-hmm. and I think that fascinates me as well mm-hmm. because you shouldn't that be enough to, you know. But that,
2: as you say, they can't help. When you're a zealot, you, you it actually it is a physical compulsion to yeah, continue to do like, these Yeah, and,
1: and he's quite young, so he's one of the youngest MPs. He is the young youngest MP. Right, right. Um, And he, you know, he has links to like ultra far-right RSS groups and he... This is all he's known, right? Yeah, so, and yeah. I think that that kind of toxic strain of like um, politics um, and kind of importing that here. When, like, to be honest, all I can say is like, "F off, we're full." God, who's to them here? <laughs> Seriously, it's just and like... we've
2: just been taken off the air, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of
2: like Triple R is no more.
1: Like
0: that's probably the only time I ever say that. But <laughs> it's we've got true. enough we've got enough right wing nationalists. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like it's just like I don't think and that's it's sad to see communities kind of in this position, but um you know at yeah, I the I, I just think yeah. it's really interesting that you know that uh
0: someone can slip in like that supported by major academic institutions without yeah. it being a massive outcry mm-hmm. um, because they're not, you know, um, like the, the people don't, un- the, there's like do not compute this concept of far-right yeah. nationalism yeah. when it's from, not from, non, n- from, from non-white white sources. It's true. Yeah. Con- I mean,
2: cultures I mean and countries, you know, you know? Ob- obviously, you know, sort of. People like Stephen Molyneux or Lauren Southern or Milo Yiannopoulos, they got media coverage, but Mm. no university worth their salt would ever let those guys. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, and there's something to be said about that. And I think that was the story because, like, you find it hard to, like, you know, as you look at the angle, like, like, it's overwhelming sometimes. You're just like, oh my God, what's the angle? But I think that story just was like, Wait, what? Yeah, like, totally. Like this is yeah, and they, you know, they they had their right of reply and stuff which was it was interesting. It is dangerous too.
0: It is dangerous to foment that kind of sentiment within quite a big community within Australia, you oh, know?
2: Absolutely,
0: yeah. yeah. No, definitely.
2: Can I – so I feel very frivolous following your incredibly uh, detailed and assiduous and important work. um, It's okay. We've
0: only got two minutes. Well, exactly. And I feel like
2: if if we let this episode go and I don't give this quote – language warning, by the way (laughs) – Um, My favourite – one of my favourite genres of news story is the post-election washout when the defeated party via anonymous MPs go out and slate all their colleagues. The rats run off the ship. It's very, very (laughs) delightful to me. So a friend of the show, Rick Rick Morton, had a wonderful piece in the Saturday paper this week. uh, And via an anonymous uh, MP, again, language warning, that's after the watershed, (laughs) he quoted – an anonymous MP talking about Scott Morrison Saying he fucked us And his fingerprints are absolutely fucking everywhere on that The bloke thinks he's a master strategist He is a fuckwit <laughs>
0: Uh, you know what I have I, – I mean, there's a certain <laughs> amount of schadenfreude. In fact, I think it was Eric Jensen or one of the uh, editors or publishers of the Saturday paper was like, schadenfreude has, shut the, has crashed the site um, <laughs> yeah, temporarily right, right. but it's back up again. So many people tried to access that article all at once. <laughs> but what I'm really annoyed about, and we can't go into it, we've got one minute, is um, the so many Liberal MPs now coming out saying – that they were um, appalled by oh, yeah. that yeah, yeah. Morrison's support of Catherine Deves. Yeah. 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 And it's Never like, heard of these blokes before. Yeah. Uh, where were you, buddies? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where were you?
2: Some in Birmingham could have been terror a bit earlier than election day. Yeah. All
1: that says to me is like, Independence guy, you shook, huh? Yeah.
0: It's time for us to get out of here. We've got a a couple of announcements and then stick around for Neil Rogers and the Australian Mood. Thank you so much for Dr Glyn Greensmith who was just a brilliant um, guest this evening talking about the media's role in ongoing um, mass shootings and we'll be back next week. Uh, Catch you then.
2: And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform.
1: And you can follow us on Twitter. At Nadj Samble at Lily Juice,
2: and at the Shuffle Diary.
1: You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via on demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support
0: Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.